The following message was given by Tim Abbott on Sunday, August 4th at Redemption Hill Church. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com. Good morning. Uh, My name is Tim. I am one of the pastors here. If you have uh, been with us some this summer, you know that we are spending our summer in in the Psalms. One of the reasons I love the Psalms so much, and I think many people uh, find this true, is that the Psalms are, as as much as any part of the Bible, the Psalms are relatable. We see ourselves in the Psalms. There have been many times that I feel like I'm looking for the right way to express the pain I'm going through, trying to figure out how to put, put into words my grief, my sorrow, my joy. I just can't find those words. And then I open the Psalms and I say, yes, there it is, right there. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to express. John Calvin, the the great reformer and theologian, once called the Psalms the anatomy of the soul. And he said this, there is not an emotion of which anyone can experience that is not represented here as in a mirror. God has shown all the griefs Sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, all the emotions which causes the minds of men to be agitated. The beautiful thing about this is that when we encounter the Psalms, we see someone who does express their doubt, who does express their pain and their their questions, and we relate to it. But it doesn't just leave it there. God does an amazing work. He uses those people. He uses those people who express their struggles to lead us back to a place of trust in God, to a place of right thinking about who God is and what he does. The Psalms have a number of authors. One of them was a man named Asaph. And I personally have found this to be very true in the Psalms that he wrote. I find the words that I'm looking for, Asaph used them. I can relate to Asaph. I feel like he understands what I've gone through, what I'm trying to say when I'm hurting. He was a Levite, he was a music leader who served under King David, but we really know very little about about him other than that. And so we don't know much about the situations that he found himself in that caused his lament. These psalms attributed to, to Asaph are known as psalms of lament. They are a prayer, a prayer for help in the midst of pain. Many of the Psalms of Lament show us what it is to grieve, they show us what it is to cry out to God, but they often end in praise. And so my hope today is that God will use this psalm, Psalm 77, to draw us in, to see ourselves and our emotions, and then to show us that even in the midst of the most difficult situations, that God is the only place that we can turn to. He is the only one that we can run to. So if you can, stand with me now, and we're going to stand together one more time, and we're going to read the first nine verses of Psalm chapter 77. I'll read the, the very first part, and then you join in. To the choir master, according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. Now join with me. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. 
I consider the days of old, the years long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah. Father, right now I pray that you would uh, remind us of your graciousness. You would remind us of your compassion, your love, your protection. No matter what anyone is going through right now, I pray that you would remind them of your great love. I pray that they would be reminded today and that we would walk in confidence. We would walk with you because of all that you have done for us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you may be seated. Uh, so a couple of years ago, my mom said that she needed some work done in the yard and that she really needed some help doing it. So I, I drove down to Lynchburg one day. And my brother-in-law and I started doing yard work for my mom. And now when I say yard work, I want you to know that this is the most, um, the manliest version of yard work possible. We were cutting down trees, strapping them on our backs, and then piling them up and burning them. This is, this is manliness personified. I was feeling pretty good. I actually took pictures of myself and sent them to my wife, to my wife because I know this is about as good as it gets. We, we had finished almost everything, and we get to the end of the day, and, and we're both very, very tired of being so manly. But my mom comes out and says, you still didn't get the one tree that I really wanted. She points at a large tree up front, and she says she just wants some limbs taken off. And, uh, and I don't want to end this day of manliness by telling my mom I'm too tired, so we go and we take a couple of limbs down. And then I get ready. I've got a chainsaw in hand. I get ready to take down the next limb. And my brother-in-law just takes off behind us. And he just screams out, no. And I think, that can't be good. So I look up, and on the limb I'm about to take down, there is a 12-foot-long snake wrapped around that limb. Now, to be honest with you, that's probably not true. That, there, that, that, that snake was probably not 12 foot, feet long. But in all honesty, it grows about a foot every month in my mind. And I will, I will be honest with you again and just let you know I'm scared to death of snakes. I know there are a lot of people out there, maybe some of you are, are these people, that can just look at a snake and go, oh, that thing isn't going to hurt you. And they will explain what kind of snake it is. I don't care what kind of snake it is. I have no idea what kind of snakes there are. I don't care that there are different kinds of snakes and that some of them aren't harmful. I never plan on learning more about snakes so that I can understand this. Every snake is the exact snake. A giant snake that only has one goal in life, to destroy me. That's what every snake is. I see people on TV holding snakes and I just know they're not going to show this on TV, but after the commercial break, we'll never see them again. So all that is rolling through my mind as I look up at that 15-foot-long snake and, and inside, I'm just freaking out. But at this point, most of my family has come outside and is watching me. And I don't want to look like I'm freaking out. I don't want to look like, the, hey, I'm the oldest man in the family. I've got to look like it's under control. So I slowly back away calmly. And my brother-in-law and I put together a plan to take down the limb and then take out that snake. And so a few minutes later, we come back loaded up with tools and weapons 
And uh, we, as we start to get close, my brother-in-law takes off again, and this time screams out, he's not there. And I just think for a second, who's not there? There's no one else out here. Like, who are you talking about? And then I realize it's the snake. The snake is no longer there, which means the snake is still somewhere. We just don't know what it is. So, so to be honest, I, 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 I start to really freak out inside because there is an 18-foot-long snake and, and I, don't know, I don't know if it's right beside me. So I do the calmest version I can of running and screaming like a three-year-old girl. And that's probably insulting to three-year-old girls. Three-year-old girls were looking at me and saying, you're being a little dramatic right now. So I jumped in my car, I drove off, and I left my mom to deal with that snake. No, I'm kidding. Uh, we eventually found the snake and got rid of it. But I, I so desperately wanted to look like I could handle it. It, but inside and eventually outside, I just lost it. I grew, I grew up in an environment where in church, we had to look like we had it all together. No matter what we faced, no matter where we, what we were going through, you had to look like you had it under control. Never doubt, never question. And for the most part, everyone looked like that. Everyone looked the same way until it just blew up, until it was just out of control, until they possibly couldn't, couldn't hold it together anymore. It felt like the biggest sin in that setting was admitting that you weren't doing well, that you didn't understand why you were suffering, that you were experiencing doubt. The real sin was being honest about what you were going through. Even in the midst of severe suffering, you had to look like you weren't bothered by it. You had to look like you knew it was going to be okay. There will be pain in life. There will be suffering throughout your life. That pain doesn't always go away quickly. It doesn't resolve quickly. And the Bible doesn't try to avoid this, which I greatly appreciate. It actually models for us what it is to express what we're feeling and what we're experiencing as we walk through dark seasons. The Psalms give us examples of how people express their doubts and questions in the face of trials. And then these, these Psalms show us how we can grieve how and, 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 and should we cry out, how we should cry out. And then they show us how to move forward from these doubts and fears to truly trusting and believing in God, no matter what the circumstances. My wife and I moved to Richmond from Charlottesville uh, nearly nine years ago now. And for about two years before we moved to Richmond, we went through a, a prolonged period of time where I felt like God was not on our side. I felt like God wasn't hearing us, that God didn't care about us. He didn't care what we were going through. We had moved to Charlottesville with the hope to plant a church, and that had failed. We were in the middle of trying to start a family to have children, and we had experienced loss. And ongoing, every day, every hour, anguish and pain as we tried to start a family. We had started to consider moving to Richmond, and so we had put offers on houses and we didn't get any of them, including one that sold for less than we offered. There was, there was disappointment that just seemed to be lobbed on top of failure and grief. We had a cat at the time and the cat had developed kidney stones and we were told if he didn't have surgery, he was going to die. And then the vet told us how much the surgery was going to cost and it was pretty much everything we had plus some. And I'm looking at our lives and I'm looking at God and I'm looking at the cat, and I don't even like the cat, but, 
but my wife did, and all I'm thinking is, no, God, I don't even like this cat, but you can't take the cat. We felt alone. We were dealing with failure, with loss, with physical struggles, financial struggles, and my instinct was to keep it all together. My instinct told me, look like it doesn't bother you. Look like it's all okay, like you completely trust that it's going to be okay. Make it look on the outside like you trust God perfectly. But inside, all I'm thinking is, God, why are you so intent on taking things away from us? Why don't you want us to have anything good? Why can't you just fix the cat? Are you still truly good? Are you a good God? Because either you aren't a good God or you just don't like me very much. I read a lot of the Psalms during that time. I, can, I honestly couldn't make much of the rest of the Bible, but the Psalms were, were comforting. I appreciated that words like these here in Psalm 77 were in the Bible because as much as I felt wrecked by life and confused at why, why God would let all this happen, I also felt overwhelmingly guilty that some of these thoughts were coming into my mind and my heart. I felt guilty that I was questioning God. I felt guilty that I was letting these things bother me so much. I was staying up late at night, angry, worried, bitter, and then add on top of that a massive amount of guilt that I'm not being a good Christian. I'm not thinking and believing like a Christian should. I appreciated the words of David in Psalms 94 when he said, in the multitude of my thoughts, or literally when my thoughts had overtaken me. He says, your comfort brings me joy. When my, when you're, when my thoughts had overtaken me, I know that feeling of having your thoughts, your burdens overtake you. God gave us the Psalms to show us what it means to praise Him, but also to bring comfort during very deep, dark, and long seasons of discouragement and doubt. This Psalm is a song. It was meant to be sung, but it is also a prayer. It is a cry out to God. He starts here in verse 1, I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. He knows where he can turn. He is praying and crying out to God. He believes in God. He believes that God can do something. He is believing and hoping that he will hear and act on his behalf. He wants and is trying to believe that God will hear him and do something great. We are not told what Asaph's troubles are, how he was suffering. We only know that, that something has brought him to a place where he is broken and hurt. All of us, no matter what our situation, whether it is driven by loss physical pain, loneliness, betrayal, we can all see ourselves in the words of Psalm 77. So in the midst of his cries, in the midst of his questions, in the midst of his trouble, he is hoping and believing that God will hear. And then in verse 2, he says, in the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying, without stopping. He is doing what he is supposed to do. He is going to God. He is going all day to seek the Lord. At night, every moment, he is stretching out his hands without wearying, without stopping. I, I sought the Lord during the day and my hands were lifted up, crying out to God all night long. This was all day and all night, continually crying out, continually pleading with God to do something, to change something. This is ongoing, consistent pain. We don't know if this was days, weeks, or months, or years. Many of us have gone through difficult times, 
But what do we do when the long night continues on and on? When you are walking through these times, every day feels long. Every moment of every day, you find yourself wanting an answer. Every moment of every day, I was looking to God and thinking, maybe now is the time you're going to answer. We, we, we know that we have a fear of missing out. It's why we're on our phones looking for texts to come in and emails to come in because at any moment something could happen and it could be great, it could be awful, but we just want to know. Well, this is how we are with God. We realize that at any moment we don't know when he's going to act, so we're always looking for him to act. We're always anticipating maybe now's the time that he's going to come in and heal this. Maybe now is the time he's going to come in and take away this pain. Every day feels long. Every day feels heavy, and it feels like God is silent. It feels like it goes on forever. We feel like God isn't answering, which makes it seem like he doesn't care. Christian author Nancy Guthrie, talking about that silence and how difficult it is, said it this way, sometimes what causes us the most pain and confusion isn't what God says to us, but the fact that in the midst of difficulty, he seems to say nothing at all. I think for most of us, we know that there are times of suffering. We're not looking for, for, for zero suffering throughout our life. We understand that there will be suffering. Sometimes all we want is just to know that we have been heard, to know that God hears. It's what Job was looking for when he pleaded out to God, let the Almighty answer me. It's what David felt in Psalm 22. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, and I find no rest. We cry out to God day by day, night after night, to change something in our lives. We cry out to God to change someone in our lives, but it doesn't seem to change. C.S. Lewis described his suffering after he lost his wife described what he felt about God. He said, at the moment of my most profound need, God, who had, had seemed always available to me, suddenly seemed distant and absent, as if he had slammed the door shut and double bolted it from the inside. At our moment of most profound need, God, you were there when it was good. You were there when things were fine. But now, when I need you most, it seems like you're not there. So Asaph says at the end of verse 2, he does what he thinks he's supposed to do. And then he says, my soul refused to be comforted. In essence, I don't want comfort. I don't want to hear it's going to be okay. I don't want to hear someday I'll understand. I don't want to hear about what God has done in the past. I don't want to hear about what God has done in the lives of others. I don't want to hear that one day it'll all work out. He so doesn't want to be comforted that in verse 3 he says, when I remember God, when I think of God, when I meditate, I groan. My spirit faints. When I think about God, I groan. It's not exactly the exalting praise we expect from the Psalms. I think about you and I groan. This is basically language when you, like, like when you have seen someone you haven't seen for a while and the relationship didn't end well or you know there's something hanging out there, for some reason you just don't want to see them. This would be like going up to them and saying, hey, hey Jennings, I like Jennings a lot. So I wouldn't say any of this about him. I just want that to be clear. But it'd be like going up to Jennings and saying, hey Jennings, 
I was thinking about you the other day, and I just had a sick feeling in the pit of my stomach. I just groaned. I just moaned out when I thought about you. Just the thought of you just drains the life from me. When I thought about you, I feel so awful and tired. I just wanted to be clear. I do not think this about Jennings. You probably wouldn't tell that to anyone. You might think it about some people, but you wouldn't say it. What Asaph is is expressing here is that he doesn't want to think about God. He doesn't want to be reminded that God is good, that God is glorious, that God is gracious. He doesn't want to hear that God is in control. It is hard during these times to think about God's goodness. It is hard sometimes to come to church where you know people are going to be talking and singing about how great God is. And yet it it is one of the best places that you can possibly be Asaph again in Psalm 73, when, when he, is, he is looking out, he is lamenting again, and this time he is lamenting that everyone seems to have it better than he does. The, his turning point, he says, when I came into the sanctuary of the Lord, I understood. He, he turns around when he hears about God, when he hears people proclaiming God. And so it is difficult to come and hear about that, but it is important. He feels like life is out of control and he groans to be told that it's not. He says in verse 4, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I cannot sleep. I can't talk. There were times when we were going through those years, those difficult years of trials and suffering, where I just couldn't sleep. I would sleep a couple of hours a night and yet all I wanted to do was sleep. All I wanted to do was not think about those things. I didn't want to talk about them. I didn't want to think about them, but they were always on my mind, and now they were keeping me up even more and more hours of the day. It is, it is very human that this kind of suffering, this kind of feeling then would lead us to question God, to think that God hasn't done what he's supposed to do. We believe that we have done what we're supposed to do, We've, we've called out to him, we've cried out to him, and that God just isn't living up to his end of the bargain. We say to God, I've done what you wanted me to do. I tried to live the way that you wanted me to live. Now you need to do what I'm telling you to do. God, this is a good thing that I'm asking. I need you to change this situation. I need you to change this person. I need you to do this. Even as Christians, even if you have the best theology, even if you have right beliefs about who God is, When you are face-to-face with loss, when you are face-to-face with hurt and suffering, when you you come to this point, it is is easy to question God. We end up telling God, we've done our part, now it's time for you to do yours. End the suffering, heal, provide change. And when the answers that we want don't come quickly, then it is very human to question God. So Asaph here in Psalm 77 asks, Six questions of God in verses 7 through 9. And these are very huge, grueling, painful questions. He says, will the Lord reject forever in verse 7? Will the Lord never again show favor? In verse 8, has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? In verse 9, has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? We begin to think, is God actually good? Does God really care? Will he ever care again? Has he stopped keeping his promises? 
Has he forgotten about me? Has his love stopped? Will, will any of this ever be good again? Will God be compassionate or loving in any way ever again? When we are confronted and face difficult, ongoing suffering, prolonged pain that feels like it will not end, it can be very easy to wonder, did God ever really love me? Was God ever really there? Was God truly ever on my side? And will he ever be again? This is very close to our lowest point. We are still suffering. We are still hurting. And now we don't even know if God is on our side. It is at that point that we truly have two paths ahead of us. We can turn away from God and turn toward ourselves, or we can run towards Him with what little strength that we have. We can turn towards Him and put our trust in Him. In the first six verses of Psalm 77, 18 times Asaph uses some version of I or me. The first part of this chapter, Asaph is completely focused on himself. He is focused on all that he is doing, all that he has done, all that he has done that's, that's, that's the right thing to do. He is focused on how he is feeling, how hard he's tried. He doesn't want to hear about God. He doesn't want to think about God. He wants God to listen, and he wants God to act, but he doesn't actually want God. As one pastor put it, we often try and, and, and make a God who is a combination of Aladdin's genie and, and, a, and a psychiatrist almighty, someone who is there to listen to us when we feel like it, when we need it, and someone who does what we want when we want it. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't call out to God. Please don't hear that when we are in need, we, we, we shouldn't call out to Him. God wants us to run boldly to His throne. He wants us to cast every burden onto Him. He wants us to pray when we are in need. But when we decide to go down that path, when we decide to go down the path that says, I'm, I'm done with this. When we say to ourselves and others, this is just not working. This God is just not working for me. Then your questioning and your doubting can become entrenched. It can become your identity. Your questioning can become deep-rooted bitterness. And your doubt transforms into, into unbelief. Questioning and doubt move from crying out to God and trusting that God will work and, and wondering why he won't to becoming who you are and saying that God is not good. They take over who you are and work to remove any faith in you. There are many who have left the Christian faith. They've stopped believing in God, believing, hoping, trusting in the gospel, and they will describe that as freedom. This is why. They've been hurt or they've seen others hurt, and they wanted something to change, and it just did it. I get it. I understand. When you are crying out, night after night for something to change and it doesn't, it can feel freeing to give that up, to stop. Say, I'm going to try something else. This just isn't working. It is not your only option. Psalm 73, that more well-known psalm of Asaph, it is, it is also a psalm of lament. Only this time he is lamenting that those who don't trust, those who don't love God, those who live for themselves, those who live wickedly, they are the ones that seem to be prospering. He says that those are the ones that seem to have the better life. He laments that they seem to flourish and even expresses regret that he has lived the way that God wanted him to live. He, he, he says that he regrets that he lives the way that God wanted him to live. He says in verse 13, all in vain I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. 
It was in vain. There was no purpose for me living the way God wanted me to live. I can look out and see people doing much better than I am. He says that it almost caused him to fail. It almost caused him to fall away. He says that his, his foot almost slipped. And then Asaph goes before the presence of God. He goes into the sanctuary and then he tells us what it would have looked like if he had stayed in that place of questioning God, of doubting God, of, if that had become his identity. He says in verse 15 of Psalm 73, if I had decided to speak this way, if I decided this is now how I talk about God, this is now who I am, this is, this is how I'm going to tell everybody that I think about God. He says, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. We talked a couple of weeks ago about the value and importance of proclaiming God's greatness from generation to generation. We will more than likely experience things that could make us question God. We will look at our world sometimes and say, what is God doing? And we will look at our lives sometimes and say, is God really for me? That is, is human. And in the same way that he expresses it here in Psalm 77 and Psalm 73, we can express it as well. But for those of us who are Christians, when he says here, if I had said, I will speak now in this way, he is saying, if I declare that this is now who I am, if I proclaim for everyone to hear that this is my true self, this is who I've always truly been, once I believed and trusted in Christ is all sufficient, but now I've been through some things. Now I've seen difficult times. I've seen others around me go through difficult times. And I just can't believe in a God that would let that happen. That is now who I am. I am the one who says, I look at it and I say, no, I don't believe in that God. I don't trust that God. That God is not great. If you double down on that and say, this is now how I'm going to start talking about God, then Asaph says, I would betray a generation. I would betray God's children. He would have led God's children away from God. He had a responsibility. He had a role. He was, he was seen as someone who trusted and believed in God. So if he did this, Asaph had great influence. So he would have led God's children away. I, I, have, I have called out to God. I've asked him to do these things in my life. But those who don't believe seem to be much better off than those who do believe. That would have led God's children away. Those who don't seek after Christ, those who aren't turning to God for all that they, they, they need, seem to be doing much better than I am. They are the ones who experience real freedom. And so now I want everyone to know I've turned away from God. I've turned away from his people. I've turned away from trusting in him. If Asaph decided to speak that way, he would have betrayed God. He would have betrayed God's children. He would have betrayed himself. He was, he was going to betray a generation that he was supposed to point towards God. He was supposed to help them see and believe that God sustains and protects even through the darkest times. Turning away from God is not our only option. It is not the path that God has for us. There is a better way. We don't know that anything about Asaph's situation changed in the midst of this psalm. In fact, it seems like nothing has changed. He doesn't say, finally God acted, and then I turned to him and I trusted in him again. Finally God did what he was supposed to do, and so now I trust in him. He doesn't say any of that. He says, and this is, I'm just going to read Psalm 77, verses 10 through 20. Just listen as I read. He said, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High, 
I will remember the years that you've worked. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will, I will ponder, I will think about all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O oh God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You with your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O oh God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, they trembled. The clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. When, when, he, when he takes a look at this and he thinks, how do I get back to this? How do I trust God again? He thinks about God's redemption. He remembers hundreds of years back when God redeemed his people. When, when God's people were in the desert for 40 years, but God still fulfilled his promises. When it went on forever and ever, when they would question God, why is God not doing this? Why is he not doing what he said he was going to do? He points back to that redemption. He points back to a God who is leading his people like a flock, like a shepherd that cares deeply about them. In verses 11 and 12, he says, I will remember the Lord's works. I will remember all the wonderful works that you have done. I will reflect on all you have done and meditate on your actions. Even if our circumstances don't change, and I know that is hard to hear, that it is even possible that your situation might not get better. It might not get better quickly. But no matter what, we, what goes on, we can reflect and remember on all that God has done. Abandoning your faith, your trust in God is not your only option. Even our suffering has to be motivated by the gospel. If it is going to be possible, if it is going to be possible to actually keep trusting in God, even that time has to be motivated by the gospel. Our endurance, our perseverance through dark times is only possible because we have a Savior. We have Jesus who was faced with a pain and suffering that none of us could even imagine. And in one of the most excruciating moments in history, as he hung on the cross, alone, betrayed, physically suffering, suffering for sins that were not his own, and when he was in the midst of being crucified on a cross, he actually cried out a psalm of lament from Psalm 22 and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet we are told in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, that we are to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. He was faced with immeasurable pain, pain that none of us could possibly imagine. And yet he looked at that. He looked at it and he trusted he trusted his father. And for the joy that was set before him, it doesn't say that he took joy in the shame. It doesn't say that he took joy in the suffering. It says that for the joy that set before him, he endured the cross. It's okay to despise things sometimes. It is okay to endure things. And because Christ did this for us, now we can do it. Turning away from God is not your only option. You can also turn to God with what little strength and desire you may have. Why? Because God has run to you. He has come to you. 
even with his son suffering and dying, he ran to you. He, he ran to rescue you, to save you. And because of that, no matter what your circumstance, you know that God has you. You know that he is holding you. You know that he has been walking with you all along. You can turn to God and think about all that he has done for us. You can think about all that he has done to redeem his people. We said in those six ver- first six verses that Asaph used I or me 18 times. In these last eight verses, verses 13 through 20, there are 21 mentions of God, and not once does he use the words I or me. His eyes are now turned fully away from himself. He is not focused on what he has done. He is not focused on just what he wants God to do. He has now fully turned his attention to what God has done, is doing, and who he is. He has turned his heart and his eyes to God. He talks about his great and mighty works. He thinks about how he faithfully redeemed his people and how in the midst of great chaos and great turmoil, he led his people like a caring shepherd. That God, this God, is full of might and power, and he has used that might and power to redeem his people. He is also compassionate, gentle, tender, and loving. Even if we don't see it right now, even if we don't feel it right now, it doesn't mean that it's not true. As one pastor put it, just because the night seems long, that isn't proof that the morning isn't coming. In some ways, it means that it, it, is, it is very much coming soon. We know that there is morning. We know that there is brightness coming. Just because the suffering, the doubt, the questioning has gone for a long time doesn't mean that the comfort and healing isn't coming. Back in Psalm 73, Asaph is talking again in in verses 21 and 22. And and he acknowledges that, that during that time where he was questioning God, he said some things he shouldn't have. He says, when my heart was grieved and my spirit full of bitterness... I was senseless and ignorant. I was an unthinking animal towards you. Even though those words are born out of pain and hurt, even though we know that God is is big and great and can take them, he isn't hurt by them, it's still good to say, you know what, I said some awful things. It's still good to say, I shouldn't have said those things. It's good to turn away from those words and acknowledge our sin. And then Asaph comes back with, with yet, And this is a really big yet. He says, yet I am always with you. Not now that I've stopped talking like that, I am with you. God doesn't look at us and say, now that you aren't questioning me anymore, now that you aren't doubting anymore, now I'm with you. He always has us. No matter what we've been through, he is there as the gentle father holding our hand, ever present, guiding us caring for us, loving us, redeeming us, leading us all the way into glory. There was a 19th century author, Anna Warner, who wrote a poem that was written as as a comfort to a family that was losing a child. It was written as a comfort to that child. And the first lines are are very familiar to many. Uh, it It said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. A hymn hymn writer got hold of that and turned it into a song that was sung for for a century. But the rest of the poem is less familiar. It says this, Jesus loves me, loves me still, though I am very weak and ill. 
from his shining throne on high, God comes to hold me where I lie. Jesus loves me. He will stay close beside me all the way. Then his little child he will take up to heaven for his dear sake. I don't know how you do this apart from God. I don't know how you see people you love and care about hurting, sick, dying, and make it through. I don't know how you go through some of the things that I know some of you have gone through and still come out believing and trusting in God. I know some of you have gone through so much loss and hurt and pain and continue to still love and trust God. You've been betrayed by, by, and, and hurt by people you loved and trusted. I don't know how anyone does this, but I know that with God it is possible. I know that there isn't any situation where his love, his grace, his power, and his presence can't be seen. Asaph continues in, that, in those verses in Psalm 73. He says, you always had me. You were and always with me. And then he says, you hold me by my, by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We, we move from questioning God and what he's doing to questioning what do we have apart from God? What, what do I have in this world that is greater than God? What God is there that is greater than God? What do I have in heaven beside God? We move from questioning God to questioning everything else and wondering, does anything hold up against such a great God? You may fail. Your body will fail. You may not have any strength or desire to move forward, but God holds us. He guides us, and he takes us with him into glory. He is our strength. He is our portion forever and ever. Jesus endured the pain and suffering of the cross. He despised the shame, but he is now seated at the right hand of God. He went through death on a cross, but God took him and highly exalted him and seated him at his right hand. God has you. God took his son from death, from the, from the depths of destruction, and he seated him at, at his right hand above every other thing. God has you. God cares for you. God is going to give you a new home, a new body, a new song, a new family, a new joy. And so you can, with great endurance, turn to him and trust in him. You can turn your eyes to Jesus and look full on his wonderful face. And when you do, you will see scars and you will see the, 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 the pain that he went through for us. And, and in that, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That is what happens when you turn to Christ. That is what has happened when you turn your eyes to Jesus. Jesus reigns forever. Jesus reigns eternally as the lamb that was slain and serves as eternal proof that God is always there for his people. We are going to spend a few minutes. Uh, we, we say sometimes this is a time for reflection. I would encourage you, as we said in the beginning, this, this is a psalm of prayer. I encourage you to take this time and pray. For me, as God brought me out of the depths of discouragement, despair, bitterness, as God reminded me of his great unwavering love, of his amazing grace, we got back into church, we got around his people, I started to read the, the, the Bible again, I started to desire his word again, but the last thing 
that, that actually became sweet was prayer. The, the hardest thing for me to return to was prayer. Prayer was intimate. Prayer meant that I truly trusted and believed in God. Prayer meant that, that when I go to Him, I truly believe He is going to act, that He is truly for me. And so we are going to spend a few minutes in prayer. I encourage you, if, if you're going through something right now, take it to God. Cry out to God. If you've been crying out to God, keep crying out to Him and share it with someone. We need someone. We need people to hold our hands up as we continue to cry out. We need others who are going to cry out for us. You can pray by yourself during this time. If you're here with family or friends, feel free to pray with them. Cry out to God, but know and turn your eyes to Him and know that it is in Him and Him alone that you can find the comfort and the healing that you need. So take a few minutes to pray and then we will come back together for communion. You've been listening to a message by Tim Abbott given at Redemption Hill Church in Richmond, Virginia. For more information on the church and to hear other messages, please visit us online at www.redemptionhill.com.